Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen. There's somebody that's watching us today that has felt like God has abandoned them. That God has abandoned them. But I love what that song says. He's closer than my skin. That's pretty close. That's tight. And that he is in the air that I'm breathing in. So you need to know today, God's not abandoned you. Sometimes when we're going through difficult times in our lives, when we think he's farthest away, that's when he's nearest to us. And I'm thankful today. I tell you, I sense the Holy Spirit of God here on this stage. I don't know about where you are right now. And if you're not, it's simply because you haven't opened up yourself to allow Holy Spirit to invade your space. Because I'm telling you, He is here today. And He's ready to do a work in any person's heart and life that will allow Him to do that. Thank God for hope. We started this series last week entitled Living Hope. And it's based on the book of 1 Peter, a book that I think, that he was, even though it was written thousands of years ago, it is so relevant for the day and time in which we are living right now. And we started this series last week talking about a living hope. Today I'm going to talk to you about the purpose of suffering. But before we do, let me just review a little bit about what we talked about last week. Two things that we talked about last week. First of all, we talked about who the author of this book was. That in itself gives me hope. The human author of the book, that is. This disciple of Jesus by the name of Peter. Now, I think many of us can identify with Peter because our journey with the Lord has been a lot like Peter's journey has been with the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but my journey hasn't been perfect. You know, there's, there's been some times still since I've accepted the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. There's been some times when I didn't get it all right. There's been some times when I have failed. There's been some times when I've made mistakes. And that's just, that, that's just uh, kind words for sin. But there have been some times when I have sinned even since I have known the Lord. And, and Peter understood that about his journey. Matter of fact, when Jesus first met Peter, his name was Simon. And, and Jesus said, your name is Simon, but you shall be called Peter. Simon was a name that represented his old life. Peter was the name that represented his new life. But there were many times that Jesus referred to Simon as Simon Peter. And I think it's when Simon was acting up. Uh, you know, growing up, I have, I have a, a brother, I have two sisters, and, uh, and growing up when our mom would get angry with us, uh, she would always call my brother Dennis, she would always call my sisters Danette and Melita. But I knew my mother was really upset with me because she called me, not by my first, but my first and second name, Victor Lane. <laughs> and, and people heard that a lot that hung out with our family growing up. And so a lot of people who know me today, who know me from my childhood, still call me Victor Lane. And I think about that when Jesus called Peter, Simon Peter, that that, that was 
I think, a picture of the struggle between his spirit and his flesh. You know, that there were times that he would walk in his flesh. There were times that he would walk in the will of the Lord. And I think about that sometimes when my mom would call me Victor Lane. You know, it was that struggle between my spirit and my flesh. And when I was acting up and I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, she would call me Victor Lane. But Simon Peter is the one who wrote this book that the Holy Spirit inspired, the Holy Spirit trusted. Now, he's the divine author of the book. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the Holy Scriptures. But that he would choose to use someone like Peter, what hope that gives us. But Paul did say in 1 Corinthians 1 that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And, and so he does that with Simon Peter. And so Peter is the author of this book. And he is encouraging believers. It's a book about encouragement. And he's encouraging these believers. And here's how he refers to them. We didn't just look at the author last week, but we also looked at uh, the recipients of this book, who it was that he was writing to. And he described them like this. And you guys remember me sharing this last week. He said they were believers, uh, believers of God. And then he says this. He said they were strangers, and I talked about what strangers meant last week. We're not going to talk a lot about that today. They're strangers because they're strange. They, they had different values. They had different morals. They had different beliefs than the pagan culture around them. And so when that pagan culture would look at them and the life that they would live and the values that they had, they thought they were strange. Thought they were strange, but not only strangers because they were strange, but they were strangers. Uh, they, they were exiles, in, in a land that was not home to them. And that's, that's us. Because this book is not just written uh, to these believers in that first century that Peter's writing to. He's also writing to all of us. Even, even thousands of years later, this is a letter that is written to all of us. And we, too, we are strangers. I'm, I'm afraid that we're not strange enough from the world today. We've become too much like the world and the world doesn't necessarily look at us as, as strangers. But we don't, let's not ever get too adjusted to this world. Amen. Let's not ever get too comfortable, become too much like this world, because this world is not our home. Amen. We're pilgrims. We're strangers. We're just passing through. And he said they're strangers, and then he said that they were scattered. They were scattered. And remember I had the little salt container last week, and I said, you know, this is not a salt shaker. This is a salt container, and we're the shaker. And in order to get the salt out of the container, we have to shake it. And God sometimes, in order to get the salt out of its container, because we love our gatherings, we love coming together and worshiping, uh, but sometimes God allows us to be shaking to scatter us. And in that shaking sometimes, and this is where we're going this morning, God sometimes allows suffering in our lives trials in our lives, persecution in our lives. But Peter goes on and he says this in verse 3. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth. By the mercy of God, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And last week we discovered that our hope is living because the object of our hope is living. We serve a risen Savior. Our Jesus is alive. And because our Savior is alive, our hope is alive. Our hope is living. But not only is our hope in Jesus, our hope is in the Word of God. 
And as we're going to find out next week, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. We, we talked last week about how that our hope is only as good as where our hope is anchored. That's why there's so many disappointed, discouraged, depressed people in the world today is because their hope is anchored in this world. Their hope is anchored in this life. Their hope is anchored in temporary things. Temporary things cannot satisfy. They may satisfy temporarily because they are temporary. But my hope is not in the things of this world. And you know, the only way that we can truly see the value of things and determine the value of things is through the lens of eternity. It's only when we look through the lens of eternity that we can see the real value of things. And man, when I look through the lens of eternity, a lot of things that people value in this life and a lot of things that people put their hope in in this life cannot fulfill, cannot satisfy, cannot meet our expectations, so we're left disappointed. But our hope is anchored in heaven. We have a living hope through the resurrection. And then he said this, not just through the resurrection of Jesus, but he said we also have a hope because we have an inheritance. Brian, Tanya, your kids going to have an inheritance? Kids, y'all going to have an inheritance? You hope? (laughs) The best inheritance you'll have from your parents is this faith that they've passed along to you. What a heritage of faith that's being passed along to you. That's what I tell my boys, you know, when we start talking about inheritance. I'm like, hey, listen, we're going to leave you the best thing that you can be left. We're going to leave you a faith, a faith in God, a hope in God. But we know what an inheritance is. An inheritance is, is something that is left for us. Many times it's, it's spelled out for us in what's called a last will and testament. And we, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance But it's not an inheritance that we receive as a result of death. It's an inheritance that we have received and become a part of because of life, because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because let's face it, he could have died for our sins at the cross. He could have been placed in a tomb. But if he hadn't rose again, we would still have no hope. It's the resurrection. That's where our hope is tied to. And that inheritance. And he said this about our inheritance. He said it doesn't perish. It doesn't get defiled. And it doesn't fade away. That God has an inheritance for us. Now, we know that God ultimately is our inheritance. But we read about that inheritance in heaven that talks about how that it's going to be a place where there's no more sickness. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more death. And the reason why is because there will be no more sin. And we saw that last week that we have been saved. As believers, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are presently, through the power of the Holy Spirit, being saved from the power of sin. But one day, we're going to be saved and delivered from the presence of sin. Because sin, listen, is the problem for everything bad that is going on in this world today. You know, when something bad happens, people won't immediately blame God. It's not God's fault. It's our fault. I mean, we're the ones... Mankind is the ones that introduced sin into the world, and then sin's the one that has destroyed everything. God didn't want that. You go back to Genesis 1, and you discover what God wanted, the kind of life that he wanted for us. And here's the hope that we have, that one day we'll be back in that garden. We'll be back in that garden of Eden, and we'll experience life eternal. And so that's, that's what we talked about last week. But then we're going to pick up in verse 6 today of chapter 1. And I want, I want everybody, if you would, to follow along with me today. Because when we get to verse 6, this is what the apostle Peter says. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. 
in that hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus, that inheritance that we have, when we think about that in this we rejoice. If you haven't rejoiced lately over your hope, if you haven't rejoiced lately about your inheritance, you need to do some rejoicing. He said, in all this, you greatly rejoice. But then it's like the tone of his voice changes. He says, he he talks to us, he paints for us a picture of what our future is going to be like. And the hope that we have of a better future, that things are not always going to be like they are right now, that things are going to get better. And, and that's where our hope is attached to. But then he says, though now. Wow. See, now, now we're not in heaven right now. Right. We're still here on this earth yeah. right now. He said, though now. Now, I know that Pastor Joel Osteen wrote a book. And listen, this is not a slam on Pastor Joel Osteen. I love Pastor Joel Osteen and his wife, Victoria, and their children. I heard his son preach a message a couple of weeks ago on the fatherhood of God that was one of the most powerful messages Uh, on the fatherhood of God I've ever heard. I love Pastor Joel Osteen and his wife. I thank God for what God is is doing through their ministry there in Houston, Texas. But he wrote a book, and the title of the book is called Your Best Life Now. And, And I believe if we're not careful, that title can be a little bit misleading because this is not our best life here. If this is your best life here, that means that the next life not gonna be too good for you, right? This is not our best life now. And I don't think that's what Pastor Osteen meant by the title of that book. I believe what he means is that we need to make the best of this life that we have here on this earth right now. But that title can be a little bit misleading to make us think that our best life is now. Our best life is not now. Our best life is still to come. Amen? I believe this life on earth can be good. I believe that life on this earth can be better. But I don't think it's the best life that we're going to enjoy. Our best life is still to come when Jesus returns. And then he goes, he says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. (laughs) Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Today we're talking about the purpose of suffering. The purpose of trials. And notice what he says about trials, because this is something we tend to forget when we're going through a trial. He said that they only last for a little while. You know, they could, we, we, could, we could experience trials our entire life here on this earth, but that's still nothing compared to eternity. We, we, we could experience trials if we live to be 100 years old on this earth. We could experience trials every single day of our life, but that is nothing in comparison to eternity. I think that's why Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So he said, though now for a little while, somebody here today needs to know this, somebody that's going through a trial today, somebody that's going through a difficult season in your life, and we all are in a sense in a difficult season right now. Listen, it's temporary. It's temporary. Our trials are temporary. Everything we go through on this earth is only temporary. That's why Paul starts this book off talking about the hope of heaven. That's why he starts this book off talking about how great things are going to be because he knows that when we're going through a difficult time of suffering and trials, that what gets us through our seasons of suffering and trials is the hope that we have that it's not always going to be this way. 
Amen? Amen. It's only temporary. And so he says, though now for a little while you may have had to. I underlined those two words there, had to. You know, there's just some trials you've got to go through. You've got to. We'll find out here in just a moment why. But as a, as a believer, as God is doing a work in us to conform us into the image of Christ, listen, there's just some trials we have to go through in order for that to happen, in order for that to take place in our lives. And so he says that, these, that, that though now for a, a little while you may have had to suffer grief, and that, that when he talked about suffering grief there, it's the same word that is used of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his sweat was like great drops of blood. And he prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I, but not my will, but your will be done. He knew what kind of suffering was ahead and the grief that that suffering caused. And you know, even here on this earth, when we lose a loved one and we go through that trial of death, we go through that trial of losing a loved one, we experience grief. But even that, the Bible says we don't grieve as those that have no hope. We grieve, but we grieve with a hope that says we will see our brothers, our sisters, our mother, our father, whatever, whoever have passed that have died in the Lord, we will see them again, but still we grieve. And it's okay to grieve. There's nothing wrong with grieving. But we grieve here on this earth. And he said, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. If I were to just go around this little setting right here to everybody sitting here today and and ask you about your trials, I guarantee you for the most part, most of our trials would be different. We face all different kinds of trials. And and the the word that he used here is is, is a word that some translations translate it various or variegated or manifold trials. Or I like this one, many-colored trials. You know, we sometimes refer to our moods with colors, blue Monday, you know, gray Tuesday. We, we sometimes use colors, and, and he talks about the many colored trials, the various trials, the multifaceted trials. And you know, we go through spiritual trials. We go through relational trials. We go through financial trials. We go through uh, occupational trials. We go through physical trials. Different kinds of trials. But did you know that the Apostle Peter here, that the Greek word that he used to talk about many kinds of trials, that it's a Greek word that he only used twice. And the other time that he uses this Greek word, and this is so good, I get excited about it. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where he talks about the grace of God. And he talks about the manifold, the variegated, the many-colored grace of God, which reminds us that no matter what trial we're going through, no matter what difficult situation we go through, that there is a grace for every trial that we go through. Somebody ought to just give God some praise about that. Amen. It doesn't matter what the color of your trial is. There is a color of grace to match whatever trial it is that you are going through today. And his grace is sufficient to get you through every difficult circumstance that you go through. Amen. So we've got to remember that trials are temporary, that they're temporary, that they're not going to last forever, and that they are variegated. They are, they are various, but that for every trial that we face, there is grace that is available for those trials. And then he goes on, he goes on in verse 7, and he says that these have come, what? These trials 
So, so now we're going to find the purpose of trials. Not only do trials help us, uh, does hope help us get through the trials of life, but listen to what he says that trials produce, what they do for us. He said, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. Let me tell you what trials does. It proves and tests the genuineness of your faith. Now, somebody needs to hear me right now because there's a lot of people who profess to be Christians. There's a lot of people who profess to be believers. But it's only when you go through the fire that you know whose faith is genuine and whose faith is just professed. Think about what Job went through. Job Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. Job loses everything he has at the approval of God. Satan comes before God, and God says, Satan, where have you been? What have you been up to? And he said, I've been roaming to and fro and up and down in the earth, seeking whom I may devour. And listen to what God says to Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if I'm Job, I got a problem with that. It's like he was setting Job up as a target. And Job even says that in the book, that God has set me up as his target. And he said, well, no wonder Job serves you, God. Look at everything that you've blessed him with. You let me take away those blessings, and I'll have him curse you to your face. And God said, okay, but you can't put a hand on his life to take his life. He took everything Job had except for his wife. And there was a moment in chapter 2 when I guarantee you Job wished God had taken his wife. When she come over there to him saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Get this over with. Yes, I know. I need to watch it, don't I? I'm sitting by, sitting by mine. But he's lost everything he has. And the Bible says that he shaves his head, he rips his clothes, he falls to the ground, and he worships. Is that not amazing? That he worships. And he said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I leave. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, his faith was put to the fire. But he came forth as gold. He even said that. In, 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 in the book of Job, he said, that, he said that, the, that, that God, he said that when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. And, and that's, that's what Peter tells us here in this very next passage of Scripture. After he talks to us about that, that, that trials are to prove the genuineness of our faith, he said that our faith, he said, is of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire. You see, because if you want to know if gold is genuine or counterfeit, put it in the fire. And you'll discover if it's genuine or if it's counterfeit. And that's the way it is with our faith. That's why God allows trials in our lives. It's not because God is trying to destroy us. It's not because God doesn't love us. It's because he is conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. He's trying to help us become more and more like Jesus. And as he allows us to be put through the fire, our faith is purified. Our faith is made genuine. Our faith is made of value. Amen. Amen. And let me tell you something about your faith today. Your faith is much more precious than gold. And if gold has to be refined by fire, then how much more does our faith? 
And listen, you can tell, you can tell who the real believers are in a season like what we're in right now. Because there's some that have already walked away from God. There's already some that have walked away and said, well, if God loved us, he wouldn't have allowed this. If God cared about us, then he wouldn't have allowed this. No, the true believer stays faithful to God through every circumstance, through every trial. And not only do they stay faithful to God in it and through it, they come out stronger and more pure as a result of it. Somebody should just thank God for that today. So now, now you understand why Peter said that when we think about our trials, we can rejoice. Because they're producing something that only those trials can produce in our lives. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, here's what the result of it's going to be. So that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Mm. That when you are in the midst of a trial and you choose to remain faithful and you choose to depend upon the power of God to get you through it, when Jesus comes, he's going to recognize and reward you for that faith. Recognize and reward you for your faithfulness, for your endurance, that you didn't quit in the midst of a trial. And then he goes on and he says it like this, because this this ties in to that. He said, though you have not seen him. Now understand, this this is Peter that's writing here. Peter had seen Jesus. He had seen Jesus literally, visibly. He had walked with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, been mentored by Jesus. And he said, I know that even though I had that opportunity, that privilege, you didn't. How many of y'all remember Thomas, doubting Thomas in Scripture? And and do you remember when the disciples came back and told him about the resurrection? He said, well, the only way I'm going to believe is if I can see him and if I can touch the nail prints in his hands and the piercing in his side. And do you know what Jesus did? Jesus showed up after the resurrection, and I think he did it just for Thomas. And then he looked at Thomas, and he said, Thomas, come here. He said, come on, put your hand right here. Put your hand right here. And then Thomas, when he did, he said, now. He said, I believe. But do you remember what Jesus said to Thomas right after that? He said, blessed that you have seen and believed, but blessed, even more blessed, are those who have not seen and still believe. Because, you see, we've got to understand that our walk with God today is we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't love Christ because I have physically seen him. I love him because of what I know about him in his word. And that's that's what Peter is saying to these people here. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And then he goes on and he says this, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And Peter said, man, blessed are you that even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And listen, I haven't seen him. I will. I'm going to see him. And when I see him, I'm going to be just as he is because I'm going to see him in all of his glory. I'm going to see him as he is. But 
I don't love him because I've seen him. I love him because of what I know about him. I know him because of what this word right here tells me about him. I love him because of what people like Peter and Paul, who were eyewitnesses of him, tell me about Jesus and what Jesus had done about. But he said, blessed are those that though you have not seen him, you love him. And then he goes on and he says, and though you don't even see him right now. We may not be able to see a physical a physical manifestation, a visible manifestation of Jesus right now in this trial that we're in. But we still believe. Because it's, it's not a, a, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And notice, and notice what he says. He says, though you do not see him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's faith. And that is what Jesus is going to recognize when he comes back. When, he, when, when we have endured the trials of this life and we have not given up our faith in him, when he comes back, not only will he give praise and glory and honor to those of us who have endured, but also praise and glory and honor will be given to him because his kids loved him enough that even when they didn't see him, they loved him. And his kids believed in him enough that even when they didn't see him, they continued to believe. Even through the difficult times of life, you stayed faithful. And you continue to praise. And you continue to live your life with joy. And then he goes on and he says this. My goodness, I have a hard time finding a place to stop in these scriptures. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want to go back to what he talked about when he talked about the genuineness of our faith is proven by the way that we respond and come through trials. I think about Mark chapter 4, the parable of uh, the, the sower and the four different kind of soils that Jesus talked about. And, and one of the soils that he talked about, the second kind of soil that he talked about was, he said that the seed when it was planted was planted in shallow ground. And he said that when the sun came up, and the sun there represents persecution and trials and suffering. That when the sun came up, that those plants, because they had no root in themselves, they withered under the heat, they withered and they died. And that's what a lot of believers do, whose roots haven't gone deep. And those who have just professed Christ, but they don't really know Christ. Because when you really know him, you understand that even the trials of life are being used for the ultimate end of the salvation of your souls, your mind, your will, your emotions. And so today, I think we can be encouraged. And I'm not done. I've got just a few more scriptures. But I think that we need to be encouraged today to know that this season that we're in right now has a purpose. But it's up to us whether or not that purpose is realized and fulfilled in our lives. That we say, God, whatever it is that you're trying to do to make us more like you. I read where the, um, uh, the Eastern goldsmith, that when he would put gold into the fire, that he knew that, that that gold had been refined when he could see the image of his face. 
in that gold. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ allows us to be in the furnace of trials long enough that we can see the image of Christ Jesus. Amen. In our lives as he works in and through us to help us to become like him. Now, you see, when you understand that good stuff like that comes out of trials, then you can rejoice. You can go through trials in your life and you can be like, come on, bring it on. God's just about to do something bigger and better in my life. Amen. You know, I, I remember an old song that we used to sing. And Tanya, if you'll just go ahead. And I've been thinking about it this week in relation to this passage of Scripture that we've looked at today. Because I believe that some of you are going through some really tough times right now. And you've been trying to understand why, God. What's the purpose of all of this? And God wants you to know today that he's using these trials to refine you. To make you better, not bitter. To help you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. I've learned to thank God for trials. To be thankful for them. James talked about that in James chapter 1. He said, consider it all joy when you face different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance. So when we know the good that's going to come out of it, we can rejoice our way through it. And know that the whole time that we're in it, it's only temporary. Trials are temporary, but they're also necessary. But one day they're going to come to an end. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.